Everybody excited to be in God's house this morning? Yeah. I'll tell you, man, I'm uh, uh, very excited to be in God's house because I was worried I wasn't going to be able to be here because we got three little flu babies right now, okay? All three of our little ones. I know, you can say boo to the flu. All three of them, literally last night at 3 a.m., I'm like scrubbing carpets because there's boogers and blood everywhere. Like, who's, got, who's ever had kids? All right, you know what I'm talking about. Bleaching carpets at 3.15. This is my house right now. That's my house. Over the last week, I just... <laughs> I just I just want to let you know, my five-year-old, when is she six now? Oh, my gosh, she turned six this week. She took that picture and literally goes, Daddy, look what I got. <laughs> I was like, stop touching my phone, but that's awesome. <laughs> All right, let's get away from that, from my booger. My, my people don't like boogers. Listen, you can't have kids and not like boogers. And that's when I learned. That's when I learned. Well, hope you're excited this morning. We're going to be in Romans 2. Romans 2. Uh, verses 1 through 11, I'd encourage you to open up for yourselves. If you don't have your physical Bible, I would encourage you to pull it up on your phone or something. Uh, we love for you to have the Word of God in your own hands uh, so that you can be discerning for yourself. Because uh, here's the thing, I could say wrong things, but God is never wrong. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we want you to have that. Um, but before we kind of pray and get into today's passage, we hope that you've already been enjoying this uh, study through Romans. Um, and it's been thick already, and it's only going to get um, probably more thick, more intense, because Romans is a very deep book. In, in fact, even for this message today, I texted Ben just like two days ago. I was like, bro, I might only do the first five verses. I don't know. There's so much in here. I feel like I could talk for 18 hours. Uh, and, the, and the church said, yes, Phil, yes. But I will be doing 1 through 11 this morning. Um, but just a quick recap for those who maybe weren't here last week. Our brother Mark brought a word last week, and the title of his message uh, for the end of chapter 1 was The Rescue from God's Wrath. And after we introduced the study and Paul's encouragement to the Roman church, we dove into this idea of being unashamed of the gospel. And the reason that we subtitled it this, and you're going to hear the word unashamed come up frequently, is because I just, we just don't believe, as leadership or a church, that we're going to be able to do, follow, or live out any of this doctrine if we aren't unashamed of what it says. The reality is, I think for so many of us, myself deeply included in this, is the things that I don't do in here, the things that are hard for me, the things that I'm like, well, I like this part, but not this part, or frankly, the things maybe I'm just naive to, are often because I'm not really unashamed of the word of God, the gospel of Jesus. So we talked about that and how we need to be unashamed. We talked about what being unashamed looks like. And I think so many of us hear the word unashamed and, and we want to cut off the UN because I often just feel what? Shamed. And shame is the opposite of unashamed. And yet the beautiful thing about the gospel that we follow is that it has nothing to do with who? Us. Everything to do with him. Therefore, we can be unashamed of the gospel because it's being unashamed of him regardless of us. But I find it so interesting, and the Bible is an interesting book if you've ever tempted to read it, that God goes from this encouragement to be unashamed, and so much of the first chapter is him lifting up and encouraging the Roman church. Like, hopefully, if you've been a part of a church or grace, like, you are constantly encouraged. Let me tell you something. You should be. If you walk out of a church not feeling encouraged, you might be in the wrong place. The church is there to encourage and exhort, even in the hard things. And yet, God, uh, Paul, God through Paul, goes from being unashamed right into God's wrath. For me, at least, I'm like, dude, I went from hyped up to now we're going to talk about wrath. Really? And yet, the more I thought about it, and today we're going to get into judgment, which is a word we don't love in our culture. Hopefully, you've read ahead. 
But it almost makes sense from a thousand foot view, right? Because words like wrath and judgment, when they're right in front of us, we don't like them. They have negative connotations. And yet it would make sense for Paul to intro this letter and say, hey, you have to be unashamed of this truth. It's amazing. To go into why do you need to be unashamed of it? Because there's wrath and judgment coming. So if you aren't unashamed of it, like before I get to the really, really good news, which is Romans is full of it, you have to know the bad news so that you want the good news. Here's the reality. The gospel literally translates to good news, right? If, if you don't believe that there's bad news, you'll never truly want the good news. So when we talk about things like wrath, judgment, sin of man, all the ugliness that comes with us, we're doing that first and foremost because the word of God says it, but secondarily because without that, we won't really want God in his fullness. We'll want bits and pieces of him. We'll want the cute stuff. We'll want the easy stuff. And yeah, I think God's called uh, at least us as a church family to go a little bit deeper. Amen? So let's do that this morning. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to read uh, through the entirety of the section. But if you would, pray with me. Oh, Father, I thank you just for the opportunity to be in God's house. I just echo the prayer of my sister Robin this morning, um, that we can be in a dry building free of authorities coming in here to stop our worship. What just what gratitude we should be filled with for the opportunity to be here. Church is not some obligation. It is a beautiful blessing. So thank you, Father, for this blessing. Thank you for the blessing of this family. God, as we get into your word, we simply ask this. Would you be glorified and would your word stand and our word fall? Would you knock down any scales that maybe we have so we could learn something fresh? And Father, I do ask that while today's word may be challenging and hard, um, that it actually would leave us so encouraged and convicted that we would walk out the doors different than we walked in. We love you. We trust you. We would believe that you will do all these things. So we thank you in advance. And all God's people in agreement sang. Amen. Come on now. Come on now. You, just, you know I'm pointing at you because your lips are moving. Uh, Robin gave me a suggestion, my beautiful sister Robin. If you haven't met Robin, you need to meet Robin. She, she turned to me after prayer time this morning. She goes, hey, you know, if you started out singing a key, they would sing better. And I was like, then I'm definitely not going to do that. <laughs> okay, because I'm listen, hey. All right, let's get into it. I got to ad lib bless, I'm telling y'all. My clock, you know what I'm saying? Romans 2, Romans 2, it's going to be up on the screens for you, but I'll read it. Coming out of the NIV, you therefore, and we'll talk about the, the, the uh, change in audience here, but we're just going to read through it uh, to get through the whole passage. You therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, listen, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath, when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. 
But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All right, who's got the first point? Anybody? No? Okay. I have to do that? That's why I'm here? So let's notice the change of audience. Again, I say this all the time, context changes content, right? So if we know why it's being written and who it's being written to, it changes how we read it. So he, in chapter 1, as Mark taught about, he's talking to unbelievers living in these really outward sins. In fact, Mark said last week that it lists, I think, 21 specifically, but over 20 sins. Like these ones that we look at and they're like the worst ones. We look in our culture and it's like, well, who are the worst people? The murderers, uh, the deceitful. Like the, the liars, the, these, the adulterers, they're the ones that are the worst. And we see Paul saying they gave themselves to dishonorable passions, exchanged truth for a lie. But then he says, since we see these things and know that these deserve death, therefore you who judge have no excuse either. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. And because you think you are the judge. Now the audience goes from, again, these with no morals, the unreligious, those not interested in those types of things, living outwardly uh, in their sin, uh, to maybe the religious, the Pharisees, the moralists of the time. In fact, it was really popular back then, and we still have it now. We just call it different things. Uh, They would have moral teachers. They weren't religious. They weren't Christian. They weren't Jews. They were literally just moral teachers, politicians, people like that, people that had, quote, unquote, higher standards, Right, so that's who he's referencing and, and writing to here. So it goes to those people, um, so religious, Pharisees, moralists, these things. How about this? Uh, those that look down on others just because of self-perceived superiority. I'm going to say that one more time. Those who act or live uh, or judge others from self-perceived superiority. I think a bunch of us in the room, myself included, should already be a little bit worried about where we're going. Because I don't know about you, living in America alone gives us self-perceived superiority. I got a, uh, this is not in the nose, uh, I got one of those texts from Trump, you know what I'm saying? It's obviously not Trump, it's his, his people or whatever. And it's like, do you want to take this quick quiz about whether or not you're going to vote for me? And I was like, I guess. I get in, uh, and it's like seven questions or something. And then it asked for money, so I actually deleted it and didn't submit it. Because I, I, there was no way to submit it without giving money. Like, what the heck is that? So I get to like the third question and ask something to the effect of, do you agree in support of America overall? Or something like over space all. And it was yes or no. And dude, I was like, nah, no. And I wonder why he asked that. I think a lot of us would have clicked yes. A lot of us would have clicked yes. Anyways, let's keep going. So God says... You might be laughing because it's about you. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) Love you. But then God says, we know that God's judgment rightly, rightly falls on these people, yet you who judge do the same things. So do you think that you'll escape judgment? So do you think that you'll escape judgment? So I'm going to give you my first point, and it's a phrase and a concept that many of us have heard, probably all of us. um, And if you haven't, it's a really important phrase for our faith. Uh, But I want to give it a little bit new life, and it's this. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. How many of you have heard that phrase before? And if you haven't, like, dude, learn this, memorize this, because it is foundational to our faith. 
And this is an easily rememberable phrase, too. And yet we see this here because he goes from talking about, again, these outward sins, these big ones, the ones that we would say, you're the worst. And then he goes to the religious, the, uh, the, the higher standard people, the moralists, whatever it might be. And he said, oh, hey, by the way, you're no better. Because the same things that you judge them for, whether or not you know it, you do them too. What's he saying? Is Paul saying, well, you have higher standards, but you're also committing adultery? No. That's not what he's saying, because they, they probably, well, we don't know. They might have been doing it behind closed doors, and it just wasn't as outward. But his point is more holistic in the sense that any sin, any sin against God is just as bad. Just as bad. So you might not be doing the big outward things. You might not be parading around the street with your sin. You might be doing it behind closed doors where people can't see it, so you think better about yourself. Or you might just simply judge those who are doing all those things, and just from that, you're no better than them. This is, like, when Paul was writing this, we have to see that at the time, this would have been revolutionary. Like, for us, it, hopefully, at least at Grace Fellowship Church, literally we named our church based off this principle, Grace Fellowship Church, we, we hear that all the time, right? Okay, you're no better than anybody else. Like, all of us are desperate for Jesus. But one, do you understand how many people, even in Christian culture today, don't actually understand or live that out? It's mind-blowing to me. I'll go to other churches. I'll visit churches, visit youth groups. I've done performances at a bunch of different churches. And some of their theology is like, no, no, do better. And oh, my gosh, every time I hear that, I'm like, no, you're the worst. You can't. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. You are no better, and I am no better than anybody else. When it comes to Jesus, up on that cross and what he did for us, like, doesn't matter what you've done, past tense, present tense, future tense, he's covered all of it. Doesn't matter if you've had, a, made, had adultery like 37 times, that you've killed, listen, I say this all the time and it's, it's a shocking comparison, but if Hitler gave his life to Jesus, he'll be in heaven with us. Why? The ground is level at the foot of the cross. There are no molehills for certain people. And Paul's talking about this, right? So I think there's three primary implications with what he's saying here uh, because he's not mincing words. He says, like, there's both the ones committing these quote-unquote heinous acts and the one judging those heinous acts are no different. Uh, three ideas why. One, passing judgment in itself is a sin. I think he's, he's just saying that pretty clearly. Passing judgment in itself is a sin. Why? We're not the judge. Like, imagine, and we're going to talk a lot about this here in a little bit, but imagine walking into a courtroom and you, you're not even a part of the case. Like, you're not the defendant or the plaintiff. You are not the judge. You're not the sheriff. You're not, you, but you walk in and try to nudge the judge off his seat and sit down. You know what's going to happen? You're going to get put in handcuffs and pulled out and put in jail. You want to know if you try to do that with God, the consequence is way worse? Oh, woof. That's the first thing. I think the second thing is by Paul saying, like I mentioned, you do the same things. He's not saying they commit the same sins. He's saying they're all equal against me. Like when it comes to salvation, they're all equal because one sin makes you what? Guilty. A sinner. And then third, I think the third implication is that in front of God, the true judge, is that any sin makes you guilty. So at the foot of the cross where Jesus did what he did for us, it's truly level. All sin comes equal, but all sin can be forgiven. I didn't wear this shirt on purpose, actually, so, but if you noticed. And this is important, friends. I think this is really important because if we don't get this, we are the ones Paul is challenging. And I think 
I'll, I'll, keep, I'll keep it 100. We are a hot church, honest, open, transparent. It is really hard at times for me to look at certain people in my life who I maybe care a lot about, done a lot of life with, and are just living out there, being wild. They're distant. They're, they don't care at all about God. I have family members who not only are not following God, but like are vehemently against God. Anybody have some of that in their life? And it's hard for me to not look at them and do what? Judge them. Because I'm just like, what are you doing? Like, one, with something I say in my head all the time, which I know isn't right. As a, and Well, it's right, but not when I'm judging them in this way. I'll look at them and, be, and they have all these issues and problems. And rather than loving them, I'm like, you're doing it to yourself. It's your fault. And what is that? That's judgment. That's judgment. And we're going to talk about heart posture and how we know if we're judging or not. But it's just important, I think, that we understand this truth, friends, that we start off with today. Because if we don't believe this, whatever else I say... The, the next two hours and 27 minutes, is like not going to matter to you. It's not going to matter. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. That's just verses 1 through 3. Let's keep going. Verses 4 through 5 uh, are probably my favorite verses in here. So he, he challenges these religious, these moralists, these higher standard judgmental people, which again, myself and maybe some of us can, all of us fall into this category. But then he says, or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you're storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's judgment. Again, we see strong language from Paul. I think we should listen to every word, and yet, even with Jesus, when Jesus is talking, there's things he says that you can tell he's really like lean in. Like, I'm saying this in different verbiage, in different language. Like, like, if you look back into the Greek, so often you can see the same word, but it's translated into Greek in two different ways because they're saying it differently. Comes out the same word, but the intention is different. So we see stubbornness and unrepentant hearts and storing up wrath for yourselves. And, like, do you show contempt for God's kindness? What he's doing is talking about the posture of our hearts towards God. You know, since I've been in ministry for however many years at this point, it, it has shocked me, and yet I've become increasingly used to it. How many people are mad at God? And I think at first I didn't get it. Like when I first came to the Lord and I was on fire and doing all the stuff and the things, um, I'm not sure that I understood that. I was like, how can you be mad at God? Like he's God. He does what he wants. But then you start to see pain in people's lives, hurt in people's lives, per people's personal opinions. Uh, maybe they want this type of life and God says to do it this way so they have bitterness towards God. And I just think whether it's anger or apathy or love or whatever it is, we all, whether or not we know it, have a posture towards God. Now here's the beautiful thing. If you're in Christ, his posture towards you never changes. But I think our posture towards him changes on a day-to-day -day basis. And that can affect us. That can make a difference in our relationship with him. And I think what he's talking about with this posture is like the reason we judge so easily is that we misunderstand God's heart. And I'll take it a step further. It says kindness, forbearance, patience. I'm going to say we misunderstand his grace. And that's primarily what I want to talk about for a few minutes here. <clears throat> But again, just quick context, Paul's addressing religious people, teachers of moral law, politicians, people in power. So the idea of storing up wrath, this is a, just a really important clarification that my brother Jesse brought to me, appreciate you, um, is that this is not talking about Christians. If you are in Christ, you cannot store up wrath for yourself. You can't. 
Here's why I say that. Because if you could store up wrath for yourself, that means that all of God's wrath was not poured on Christ. If all of God's wrath was not poured on Christ, then none of it should have been. All of it was. We see that throughout Scripture. If you need references, 2 Corinthians 5.21, John 3.36, Matthew 26.39, where he literally says, can you take the cup of wrath from me? Jesus actually asks God that. Asks his father that. So we know Paul's not saying Christians can store up wrath for themselves. That is specifically talking about unbelievers, which if you're in the room and you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to take that seriously. Because I was storing up wrath for myself for a lot of years. A lot of years until I met Christ. But I think what we can do is we can look at the concept he's talking about and relate it to believers. The postures of our heart. And ask the question, do we live in a way that we understand God's kindness, forbearance, patience, and grace? And here's how I want to challenge this. I believe that there's a pendulum, I want to call it, of God's grace. If you think of a pendulum, it swings from one extreme to the middle back to the other And uh, a pendulum, hypothetically speaking, should actually keep going. I think in many ways, as Christians, we do this in regards to our posture towards God's grace. I want to define this in a couple ways. Earned grace, God's grace, and cheap grace. I'm going to start with this. Two of them are not God's grace. So let's start with cheap grace. So Paul Uh, He addresses in chapter 1, which is before, so that's why we'll start with cheap grace. Uh, On the far end of this, is cheap grace on this side? No, sorry, I'm backwards. Cheap grace. That's confusing, inverted. No, I'm kidding. Cheap grace is this idea of people who, who know God, know God, but use forgiveness, use grace as what? A reason to keep sinning. As almost a crutch to keep living how I want. So people living in cheap grace is is people who have a misunderstanding of grace in a way that they don't get the cost of it. That's why we call it cheap. So even though Jesus had to give his life and he was literally God and he had to die in this brutal way for my freedom, for my forgiveness, because he loves me. I take all those things, and instead of letting it lead my life because of how good he is, I say, oh, he gave me those things. Cool, I'm going to do what I want because I'm free. Free. I have lived much of my, uh, not much, I've lived in my Christian walk many times on this end of the pendulum. Where I say, okay, well, I know God will give me, forgive me in the morning. Anybody be, can anybody be real? I know God will forgive me in the morning. I know that he's calling me to not step into this, this relationship that I got no place in, uh, this bottle I shouldn't be touching, this substance I shouldn't be, you know, messing around with. I know I should be in the word. I know I should be praying and all, but God forgives me and he's good, so I'm staying here. That is cheap. It's cheap. It's easy. You could pick up that type of grace in the dollar, dollar tree. Well, it's a dollar twenty-five tree now, so it got a little more expensive. <laughs> and they got a three and five dollar section. So we see what I'm saying with cheap grace. Why do I say that's a complete misunderstanding of God's grace? Because here's the thing. Yes, you can be forgiven in the morning. Yes, he does have grace for you tomorrow. The word is clear about that. His mercies are new how many mornings? Every morning. And yet, that is made for me. He did that for me. Why? So that I would understand his grace in a life-changing way. Not so that I wouldn't use it for its purposes. And when we sit over here, I want to call that cheap grace. And I believe that's a misunderstanding of God's grace. We're saying basically when we live over there that the cost Jesus paid isn't enough for me to change anything. 
that's not an understanding of God's grace. So, let's get into earned grace. Earned grace, I want to call the ladder to heaven. Well, I did enough that I got up the next rung. I, you know, I, I think I would say I haven't lived on this side as much on the pendulum, but the more I think about it, why is it that when I do poorly in my faith, I feel so distant from God? Anybody relate to that? You mess up, you're not close to him, you aren't living the way you're supposed to, and you feel far from God. I want to challenge us, that's because we're living in earned grace. Well, I got to do the right stuff, and then he loves me. I got to do the religious deeds, I got to do the charities, I got to love people just enough so that I feel close to God. But the minute I don't do something right, the minute I don't live right, the minute I don't make that right decision, I slip three rungs down the ladder. Friends, the ladder doesn't exist. You hear me? The ladder doesn't exist. There's no rungs you could climb to heaven, and if you tried, you'd be on the ladder a really, 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 really long time. There's no rungs. But here's the thing about earned grace that's even maybe more dangerous is when we live on this side of the pendulum, what happens to us? We start to become really judgmental of ourselves and other people. Why? Because we're so hard on ourselves that when we finally get it right and I start living right, well, I gave this up. And since you haven't, you're the worst. We're living in earned grace. I'll tell you, if you're judgmental towards other people naturally, and friends, this is not a condemning time. This is a challenging, convicting time. If you think you are naturally judgmental and you're already worried about this conversation, you just might be living in earned grace. You think that somehow you've done better, therefore you deserve more, and therefore you're higher than other people. The ground is level where? The foot of the cross. I want to argue that that grace and this grace are both incorrect, misunderstood graces that are not of God at all. God's grace is right here. God's grace says, hey, you can actually be free from the cheapness. You can be free from the addictions that you're living in and using my grace as an excuse. You can be free from the apathy that you've said, well, God forgives me, so I'm just going to stay over. You can actually be free from that, but you can also be free from thinking you have to do it all. You can be free from thinking you're better than other people because you understand God's grace is for every person equally. I don't get more of it because I did better. You don't. Like, whoever you think is the best Christian ever, the one you've looked up to, that mentor in your life, that speaker, that pastor that you're like, oh my gosh, they just got it. Like, they spend hours a day in prayer. But grace is just as much for you as them, and they have no more proximity to God than you do. Now, the posture of God towards them is no different. Your posture towards him could be. Could be. If that makes sense. So I think Paul is getting at the postures of our heart, and both of these on the outside are misunderstandings of God's grace that will steal from us experiencing the fullness of his kindness, grace, mercy, and all of these things. I think Paul, while he addresses these heinous sin givers, uh, and then he talks about the people who think their way better, and he says, oh my gosh, both of you are missing it. I don't care if you go and sit in church every Sunday. I don't care if you, you know, volunteer put, ha, passing out the brownies. Like, you, you're not getting heaven from that. You're getting to heaven because of Jesus. I don't care if you walked in here hungover. I don't care what you did with that person last night because it's about Jesus. So come to me, experience my grace, and let it transform you. So simply, I ask this morning, grace, as I've officially broke my sweat, Where are you on the pendulum? Where are you on the pendulum? Just think about it. Like, I will be honest with you. If, if I had to say, I think I'm like here. 
I don't think I'm all the way over there, but I definitely don't think I'm here. I think I tend to just sway here where I'm like, I don't really have to do that. I don't really have to give that up. And that might be you. Maybe you're the whole way. Or maybe you're on this side and you're like, well, I just didn't do great this week. And now I don't, I don't even know if I should go to church. I don't even know if I, I don't think I belong in that. Well, man, you might be over here. Friends, come back. Come back. Come back. It never mattered about you. His grace is for you. All the time. Right now, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you. That's how much he loves you. But there's another thing I want to pull. We're only in the first five verses, y'all. I'm telling you. There's another thing I want to pull from these first five verses that I really think, I really wanted to hit on this because I think it's just so relevant to every person in the room. And yet, really, what this passage is talking about is pretty simple. It's pretty simple. And I would just boil it down to this. Being judgmental is ugly. Like, like, this is really, again, just if you were to boil it down and talk about nothing else, this is really just a challenge saying like, hey, judgment is ugly. Judgment is a sin. And he is challenging these religious folk. He's challenging these uh, higher and better than uh, you folk that it's ugly. God hates it. And passing judgment is not the heart of God. So if I tend to be judgmental, which I can be, that's not God's heart and that's not what he wants for me. So let's take this challenge seriously because it literally says, it's, it's kind of crazy. It says that if we judge others, we in fact do what to ourselves? We condemn ourselves. Do you know what that word means? You condemn yourself. Holy moly. Y'all, I should have brought my sweat towel out here. I didn't realize it was going to be like that this morning. It's ugly. Because it, it makes us, well, what happens is it makes us think people aren't worth our time or love or care. And we won't be towards them because of how we perceive their actions. Like, do you do any, this is what anybody think about it. Think about people you don't go out of your way for. You don't go towards because of how they act. In fact, you avoid them. You got anybody you avoid? Oh, shoot, I heard it. Let's try again. You got anybody you avoid? I got people I avoid. Y'all are half of them playing only about a quarter of you (laughs) and it might be because we're actually judgmental towards them we see their actions we judge them based on their actions and then we run away from them like we, we don't step towards them the way that God steps towards us even in our darkest like when you were at your worst it says that God still did what for you died for you and yet here we are as Christians and I'm maybe I'll just talk to myself there's times I won't even give someone the time of day because of how I see them because of how I judge them, because of the actions that they have. But let me just take a second here. Uh, how many of you judgingly notice the misspelling of judgmental? Come on. Who did it? Who saw it and was like, you spelled judgmental wrong? <laughs> yes! Are you guys not good spellers or something? <laughs> this was supposed to be impactful. Too busy looking at me sweat, you know what I'm saying? So I did that on purpose. It didn't, clearly the visual didn't work like I thought. I forgot that. In York County, we're not as educated as other places. <laughs> that was a judgment with an E. My point was meant to be <laughs> that I put that up there talking about being judgmental and that some of us might have looked at it because I am like this. I, if slides are messed up or spelling's weird, I get all ifed out and I can't pay attention anymore and I might as well leave the room. You know what I'm saying? And, and I wanted to just highlight that's how easy this can be for us to do. 
that as I'm talking about being judgmental, we could just something that simple, we could look at and be like, the dude didn't even spell judgmental right. And then I had another slide hoping this would be better, but, you know, whatever. We'll, we'll, maybe I'll cut this for second service, y'all. I'm going to change the slide. <laughs> being judgmental is an ugly sin. By the way, specifically in Britain is where it can be spelled with an E, if you wanted to know that. But I just want to give some important context because this is easy for us to do. This is, and it matters, and many of us are guilty. But just a, a, a little caveat, the Bible does, because some of you may hear me and I get this, be talking about judgment, and you might be like, if you're especially kind of a seasoned Christian, the Bible does talk about judgment, right? The Bible does talk that we have somewhat of a place to judge. So I do want to just throw that in there because what we're talking about here is passing judgment on someone else where your heart is not postured towards them. There is biblical talk of judgment. For example, 1 Corinthians 2.15 as well as other places. But this type of judgment that the Bible is talking about is not looking at someone's uh, situations from the outside and saying, well, they're the worst. They're not doing things right, but I'm not going to do anything about it. This type of judgment is not, is when you're like in a Bible study and you're like, hey, can we just pray for so-and-so because they have been doing this, 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 and this. And you just told 15 people who had no idea about this person's problem, but you have no plans of actually going to do anything for them. That's the type of judgment uh, that passing judgment is. There's biblical judgment that says, hey, if you go to a brother or sister and you are loving on them and calling them out of sin and it's for their betterment and you're pursuing them and your heart is towards them and even if they reject it, you're coming back and it's you two one-on-one, you're not telling other people about it, that is appropriate judgment. That is you getting the discernment from God and saying, hey, what you're doing is not right and I love you and I want to call you out of it. There are, there's a huge difference between healthy biblical judgment and non-biblical judgment. So I do just want to put this out there. How many of you have ever heard someone be like, only God can judge me? (laughs) Yeah. Do you know that's worse? If anybody ever says that to you, by the way, that's a cheap grace thing. Just to put that out there, that's a cheap grace thing. Those people who live however they want, and you go to them lovingly. Please always do everything in love, because if you have all the gifts and all the talents and all the things, but you don't do it in love, what are you? And clanging cymbals, a noisy gong, you're annoying, all right? <laughs> Been there. But when someone's like, hey, hey, only God can judge me, I have said to people's faces, you know that's worse, right? Listen to me now so you, he doesn't have to. But being judgmental, passing judgment, friends, is an ugly sin. So the first three things that I was talking about are instruction that I believe God is giving us through this passage And the last two things, which are shorter, are going to be application. So we say this a lot. We're the YBH church. Yes, but how? Hopefully you're in the room and you're like, okay, either I'm feeling challenged because I tend to be judgmental. I hope that is for you because as I was studying this, I was feeling that conviction. Uh, And maybe you're in the room and you felt judged by other people wherever you are on the spectrum. Maybe there's cheap grace in your life. Maybe you tend to be legalistic and you feel like you have to earn God's love. Wherever you are in any of that. I want to give us the application for what we can do, uh, specifically how we avoid judging others because it is an ugly sin. So the first thing, um, and I'm going to show you a video here shortly that I really liked. Um, The first thing I want to suggest is probably something you've heard before. Another phrase uh, that a lot of us have heard, but I want to put new meaning on it. I want us to walk out with it uh, actually stirring in our hearts. How many of you have heard the phrase, uh, I want to walk a mile in someone else's shoes? I want to suggest this morning that one of the best ways to combat judging others is to actually do that, to actually do that. So my first point of application 
today to walk in God's grace and to walk out of judgment is this. When you see sin, swap shoes. When you see sin, swap shoes. I think the heart behind being judgmental is that we see sin and we see nothing else. This is important. This is important. Because Romans 1 Paul literally is like, oh yeah, we see the evildoers. We see this, 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 this whole list. We see them. But then he goes back to the religious people. And he's like, and I know you see them too, but you have no love for them. And guess what? In judging them, you condemn yourself and are no better. So think about the people in your life. Like I saw, maybe some of you already got the people on your mind that you look and you see how they're living. And you look from a distance, right, because you don't want to enter in. And you see sin, but you don't see, listen, them. One of the primary ways I counsel people and meet with people and love on people is I've adapted this uh, early on in ministry. I forget who gave it to me, but it's stuck with me ever since. I don't look at the behavior. I look what's behind the behavior. Because here's the thing. If I'm trying to love on a difficult person, anybody tried that? You're like, you got, it's like nails on a chalkboard sometimes. You're like, what am I doing here? I'm wasting all my minutes and all my breath. But here's the thing, if all I do is look at their behavior, I am going to be a, a like litany of negative things going on. I'm going to be disappointed, discouraged. I'm going to feel like it's a waste of time. Because why? I'm looking at the behavior, but here's the thing. Every behavior has a root. Every single behavior has a root. And you know what? A lot of negative, uh, toxic, harmful behaviors have shame, hurt, past trauma, and I'll tell you the truth of the matter. When you meet with someone and they're acting a whole fool, they're living in things they should not be, they're destroying their life, they're hurting other people, but you sit and you get to the root of why the behavior is coming out, like you try to swap shoes with them, find out what they've walked through, where they've been, you know what it does? It makes you hurt with them. It, makes you, it breaks your heart for their past trauma. It actually, look, you can look at the behavior now and say, I get why you're acting that way. Why wouldn't you? You've been through this. You've been hurt. You've been betrayed. You, you're, you, you've got resentment and bitterness just all up in here. Now that I see that, I know how to better help you. I put myself in their shoes, and therefore, I'm not judging them anymore because of their behavior. I'm loving them because of why they're acting that way. I mean, it's a, it's a life-changing way to view people, I promise you. Because I, I just dislike the mentality that, oh, and it just, oh, I, I, I'm going to use the word, the H word. I hate. I hate that there are Christians that can utter the words, I don't like people. I just hate that. Why? And I get we're all different personalities, and I'm not saying you got to be like me, and I don't want to be like you. Like, we have to be different. That's the church. That wasn't a shot. I didn't mean it like that. I'm saying, like, genuinely, we shouldn't want to be like each other. And yet it's not a personality thing to love other people. Oh, you hear me? Let me say that one more time. It is not a personality thing to love other people. It is a command from God. Right? So, like I'm telling you, friends, this is just, it will be so helpful to you when you're dealing with people, you're trying to love on people. Hey, just say, oh my gosh, why are you acting that way? And then I don't judge you. My judgment is replaced with care. My judgment is replaced with love. My ju judgment is replaced with how about this compassion for them. And it matters so much. So I want to show you a video um, that I really, it's simple, but I found it so powerful. It's a couple minutes long. Check this out. Is that convicting to anybody? I, I watched it and I was like, man, I don't, I'm not even gonna lie, I didn't, I didn't even like the editing. And I was like, it's kind of slow, the music could be way better. And yet the message, I was like, dude, I mean, that hits because I don't do that. 
I don't think I do that all the time. And yet Jesus did. I want to encourage you, he does it for you. He does it for you. So the final thing, and I'm going to close with this. It's our second point of application. The first one is when we see sin in friends. Let's swap shoes. And the last thing that I think we have to do, and this is out of verses 6 through 11, is we have to trust that God is a just judge. I think it all comes down to this. If we don't trust this, you're, you're going to be judgmental. Why? Because you don't think God's going to actually handle it. And friends, oh gosh, I'm not saying that at you. I'm saying that with you. Because there are people in my life, there are situations in my life that I'm like, God, why hasn't this happened yet? Like, where's the fruit of this? Like, I've been praying, I've been praying, I've been praying. Like, any of you have people that you have just prayed for, count, you don't even know how many times, and nothing has changed. And we're called to this really weird place where we're supposed to trust that God is going to do it just when he is going to do it because he is a just judge. He's a just judge. And Paul, he gives us a challenge to, uh, for those of us consider ourselves righteous and those who view themselves above others and judge others. It says that God will, in, in verse 6 or 7 I believe, yeah, verse 6, God will repay everyone according to what they have done. So for those who have sought glory... Uh, those who have sought honor and immortality, it says, will reap eternal life. But those who reject truth and follow evil, evil, there will be wrath and anger. So the first part is speaking on eternal life. Like at the end, God will do it. And I think all of us would say, yes, we believe that. I believe that at the end of days, God's going to do it. His just judgment will happen, right? All of us would say yes. Now, how many of us looking at our currently, current lives, the current unresolved situations, the current people that aren't coming to the Lord, the current hurts, the current tragedies, all these different things would say, I trust God's going to figure that out too. I think we're a lot more hesitant because I don't know about you. I'll do these things where I'll pray to God like this. Well, God, um, I want you to handle this. God, I really ask that you would do this thing, Father, this person, this situation. Um, but if you don't, I trust that in the end you'll handle it. I trust that once we get up to heaven, I'll understand it. And yet, he says here, right after that, there will be trouble and distress for every human being if they follow evil, first the Jew and the Gentile. Then glory, honor, peace for those who do good. The terminology actually shifts. It's important to see. It shifts in four verses from eternal life to human beings, both Jews and Gentiles, meaning everybody. And then he says, glory, honor, and peace for those who do good. And again, trouble and distress for those. So this changes, and it's implying to me, at least, that seeing as he made a distinction, that here on earth, if we choose right versus wrong, we will also experience distress or peace. Trouble versus honor. Friends, this is important because I don't know about you. If I look at people, then I'm like, how are you living like that, man? That's crazy. And then I see that it's giving so much stress in their life, so much distress, so much trouble. And, of course, we don't want that for them. This is implying that's actually God doing his thing. That's actually God saying, okay, you're not choosing me. You're going to reap the consequences of this. And that's actually God being active now. I don't know that I've ever thought about it that way. I look and I say, like, again, there's certain people that are coming to mind that I love deeply. That I look and I'm just like, you have so many issues. In your, and I say, you're doing it to yourself. And I need to realize, no, wait, actually, God's involved. Like, they're reaping consequences because God wants them to come back. Have you ever heard the phrase, it's one of my favorite, that often it takes hitting rock bottom to realize God was your rock the entire time? That's this. Oh my goodness, that's actually God's active judgment in our lives, working to pull people back. Therefore, what do we not have to do anymore? Judge. 
It's not our seat to have. And we can actually look at what's going around us and see God in it in new ways. Where what, what my role is completely changes when I look at what they're doing and how they're acting and see the fruit or the lack thereof, if you will, the ugly fruit that's coming from it. I can actually say, oh man, that's God judging. Therefore, my role is not to judge, but to what? Love. We see the difference? When we trust that God is a just judge, we step off the seat of needing everything to be about what we want or how we want it or what we think it should look like. We can trust that he's good, therefore it changes how we act. And then when it comes to these things like grace, cheap grace versus earned grace, all these different things we've talked about, judgment, all of a sudden that's not for us anymore. So we cannot only trust that God will judge rightfully at the end times, but that he's handling things here too. Maybe we just need to see it more. And it is not our place to decide or judge when God makes his just judgments. Amen. And it will never be our place. So let's be people, Grace family, who trust that God is a just judge. So a little recap, and we're going to pray what we can learn. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, family. God's grace is greater than earned or cheap grace. And judgment... It's an ugly sin. So what we can do about it is when we see it, swap shoes with them and love them and trust that God is doing his thing the entire time. I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to take communion together, if you would pray with me. Father, I thank you that I can see in my life the times that I've tried to be the judge. And I can see in my life the times that you clearly are the judge. So God, I I simply ask this in this room this morning, uh, what this passage is calling is us as believers specifically to step out of the seat of the judge. So Father, whoever you brought to mind in the service, whatever situation you uh, illuminated to us, God, would we take it seriously and actually leave this place, swap shoes with some people, love them instead of judging them, and trust you the entire time, because when we trust you, we will follow you. And you are worthy of following. Father, we thank you that you love us enough that in the end, we were deserving of judgment. And you, because of your son, said it's not for us. That's amazing. We love you. We trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. If you didn't get a communion cup, we have some ushers that would bring you one if you just want to throw a hand up. We'd love to bring you one. As we enter into communion, I do encourage uh, the act of communion is for believers. Uh, That is not a thing of exclusion by any means because Christianity is the most inclusive religion on the planet. You can choose them today. But the word is clear that communion is for believers to partake together. So, again, if you needed one, go ahead and throw a hand high up. Uh, We got some in the middle over here. But I just love that we chose communion for today because we're talking about God's judgment. And friends, in Christ, God's wrath and judgment are no longer for you. And you know how we remember that? Communion. We remember that his body was broken for us and his blood was spilled for us. And therefore, in him, because it has nothing to do with us, we are forgiven and set free. And while he sat at the Last Supper with his disciples, shortly before he'd be killed on our behalf, he broke some bread, and he had a cup of wine. And the disciples had no idea what he was doing, but they would shortly find out. 
that he was going to break his own body and spill his own blood. And when they partake, he said to them, do it in remembrance of me. So we partake this morning, if you would, open up the bottom. Jesus said, my body broken for you. Take this in remembrance of me. And after they broke the bread, he poured a cup of wine and he held it up and handed it to them and said, this is my blood, which will be poured out for you and modern day has been poured out for us. And he said, so please take this in remembrance of me. Father, thank, thank you for sending your son to die on a cross to fulfill the ultimate plan. That judgment for the believer is no longer for us. The wrath that we rightfully deserve was put on your son. That's amazing. It's life-changing. Father, for anybody in this room that may not know that truth, for anybody in this room who maybe hasn't experienced God's true grace, Father, just gently lead them this morning. It's so easy. It's so simple. Confessing with our mouth and believing in our heart that Christ did what he did and is Lord of our life. And you will be saved. We love you, Jesus. You're worthy of our praise. Amen. You guys can stand and we're going to worship our King.